Welcome to Metal Minutes by Cornerstone Building Brands, a podcast series where we talk about hot topics in the metal construction industry. Welcome everyone to another episode of Metal Minutes by Cornerstone Building Brands. Today, I've got Amanda Carnes, Director of Applications, and Mark Kloss, Director of R&D for our Building Envelope Solutions segment. How are you guys today? Fine. Great. Great. All right, so today's focus is the thermal efficiency and fire performance of our insulated metal panels. Amanda or Mark, do y'all want to kind of give some um, some background into the insulated metal panels and kind of the, the stipulations around them? Insulated metal panels do follow a lot of uh, stringent codes regarding fire performance. Oftentimes, there's a, a lot of question in regards what section of the code uh, insulated metal panels actually fall under. Oftentimes, we are classified in Chapter 14 of the International Building Code, or IBC, under the uh, section under metal composite materials. But we start there, and then we actually get pushed over into Chapter 26 because of the nature of the insulated metal panel. So the insulated metal panel is a sandwich panel with a, a foam plastic covered by two metal skins which is the reason as to why it actually um, puts us into the foam plastics portion of the code, which is actually chapter 26. Um, So there's always a lot of confusion in the marketplace in regards to where insulated metal panels actually fall within the code. It's okay to say that um, they fall both within chapter 14 and chapter 26, but whenever we actually get into the meat and potatoes of the uh, individual test requirements and the limitations or lack of limitations, we should really be following the Chapter 26 line by line. I think that's exactly true. Totally different uh, materials, different characteristics of how they burn between the MCM materials and foam plastics that are contained in the IMPs that Cornerstone makes. Um, and they, as because of that, the code treats them totally different as well as with the testing you have to do. Okay. So um, I guess an insulated metal panel, since it comes with the insulation, it, it alleviates the need for insulation when you're building a, a building, correct? Correct. It's a, a, a multi-component system. So rather than having individual components of a typical wall construction where you have your gypsum, your weather barrier, and then your rain screen product or insulation in between there, depending on where you're located within the United States. Uh, this is a an all-in-one solution where it provides your air, vapor, moisture protection, and also the thermal performance. And I think I think the key is is that as as the title lends itself to this podcast, fire and thermal. You know, we wouldn't even be talking about foam plastics, we wouldn't even be using foam plastics because they are essentially solid petroleum in in building construction, except that they're exceptionally well in providing thermal resistance. The energy code uh, and every other type of regulation always has a complementary regulation that you have to guard against. Everything has a positive benefit and everything has a negative deficit. And what we have to do is because the thermal characteristics of foam plastic are that good and that cost efficient, that then we have to do our due diligence, Mandy and I, to make sure that they're safe with regards to fire. 
Okay. Why are insulated metal panels held to a a different standard when it comes to spray foam or any type of insulation? Well, uh, quite honestly, um, you know, up until a few years ago, um, and and probably even a little bit more work is is needed within the code, spray foam doesn't necessarily have its own section, um, and neither does insulated metal panels. However, as codes uh, evolve and develop, both products are being added into a little bit more of a, a conversation in regards to you know what happens whenever a fire does occur on a, on a building. So it is something that is being added to the code. There's a lot of room for interpretation right now as to what's required and, and what may not be required. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the actual fire performance of insulated metal panels since that's kind of our main focus today. So is the fire performance something that is included in the International Building Code or are there others that IMPs have to be in compliance with? The International Building Code uh, really is the uh, governing entity within the United States. However, there's always additional codes uh, such as Factory Mutual or Underwriters Laboratory that are more insurance-based, providing a a level of comfort with the actual uh, building owner to where their requirements for uh, Factory Mutual or Underwriters Laboratory are a little bit different in regards to testing and and application. You know, within the the International Building Code, there's always reference to other entities such as uh, ASTM or NFPA. These entities will actually um, set the standard that and the actual testing configuration that is then put into the IBC. So, you know, everybody is working on their individual, you know, how to make sure that the products are tested and are safe whenever installed properly. But then, you know, the IBC actually puts those uh, specifications or standards into uh, one document to be referenced. Okay. So you, you touched on testing. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of individual fire tests that are done on IMPs to make sure they're in compliance? Mark, I'll let you take that one. Thanks, Mandy. No, I think I think the testing that Mandy and I do is is centered around a, a couple uh, of issues, some safeguards that we're looking at, and what the code is trying to perform. Why there is a building code, basically, is that if there's a fire, you want to make sure that the fire doesn't become historically like a great fire where one building catches the adjacent building catches the whole block catches the whole city catches on fire of the great fires of old you know everyone remembers the chicago fire the san francisco fire back the turn of the century and the second is is that it has to we know that some things burn we know that that environment you still have carpet you have furniture that's upholstered you're always going to have items inside a building that can burn so you want to give the occupants enough time to get out of the building safely. And the third leg of that of that stool, if you will, is that you don't want to make it too dangerous for firefighters who have to, as part of their job, try to control that fire. So you want to manage this, the toxicity, let's say, of the smoke that comes when that product's burning. Fire is a given. Now let's just manage it. So the tests we do really center on those items that we look at how long it takes for, for this, this specimen, if you will, whether full-scale or small-scale, to become completely consumed. 
what level of smoke comes out of it, uh, how much flame does it produce once it ignites, when does it ignite, what temperature does it ignite. So all these things are logical if you look at the, the three things they're trying to you know, get out of uh, the building codes trying to regulate to make a material safe for use in a building. I could get into specifics of the tests, but I think it's better for people to understand that. A cornerstone not only wants something that just meets the code, we also look for things that are even more than adequate for the code. But the code, again, when it comes to fire, is a pass-fail criteria. You don't get an A if you do 10 minutes longer than the next guy. It's a pass-fail criteria. And the key to that pass-fail criteria that's only in the United States is beyond all that test, most commercial buildings have automatic sprinklers that in the event of a fire, those funny little heads that you see above your head when you're working in an office or a hospital auditorium, uh, water comes down and cools the fire, lowers the smoke, and allows the occupants to get out in a more manageable way. So there's, there's a belt and suspenders to the American regulatory system for, with regards to fire. First, you have to meet these standards, then you sprinkler. Okay. So it sounds like a lot goes into the testing of the panels to make sure that they're in compliance and safe. There is. And I just like to add to that that the product in itself is tested, but and uh, one of the items that we address more so in the engineering side of things is the application. So making sure that the product is uh, applied in the right application to support that testing is definitely critical to the overall performance and how it will actually respond to a fire incident. Okay, so you're, what you're saying is that even though the product has been tested and passes the way that it is installed or if it's used for certain applications might kind of complicate that a little bit? It does. Uh, there's a, a, an extra layer of um, thought that needs to go in from any design perspective where, you know, installing the product or, you know, designing the product in a walk-in configuration might need to go ahead and be slightly adjusted to make sure that the fire performance is being maintained. Okay. So around window openings or, you know, uh, multi-story windows and, and possibly compartmentalization, even though it's not part of the testing that is required, there's an additional level of education that, you know, manufacturers go ahead and take to ensure that the product uh, is installed properly. Yeah, I think, I think what's important to what Mandy's saying, too, is it's ever-evolving, that, you know, foams started being used only about the uh, 1950s or so, in Europe, it came to our shores. There was some issues, and they were used in residential structures, just foam insulation, foam board, styrofoam. They found issues. Um, it caused the industry to become regulated. At that point, only the insurance companies, as Mandy mentioned before, it's important to note that uh, Factory Mutual, United Laboratories, UL, other ones were the only people really involved. They were worried about the insurance for buildings or structures that had foam plastics in it. They started developing tests. It, um, Mandy, am I correct? By the time we hit 2000, only in, in this century did the standard tests really not 
uh, have only an insurance lab component to them, that there actually was ASTM or independent lab testing to meet those regulatory requirements. It's only been 20 years that, that insurance companies weren't really the standard by which this material was applied. Yeah, that's correct, Mark. And, you know, those those insurance entities, actually the testing standards that they put into to place are, I would actually say that they're more stringent in some applications than uh, just some of the other code-related items. One's not right or wrong, it's just what is required for that building and that actual building owner. So if they're going to use Factory Mutual um, or Underwriters Laboratory as their insurance entity, there's a separate set of standards that we need to follow. And that's it's crazy because, as Mandy sees in the application side, there is 20 years isn't a long time. So you have a lot of design professionals that still believe you have to have UL or FM approval to sell a product like this because it evolved in the last 20 years <clears throat> So much from not only the testing, but also, as Mandy said, the, the details uh, in, that involved in the testing. It's not just testing a block of foam. It's testing it installed in a certain way. And that's all good for the industry. That that's, that's makes everyone feel more comfortable that everyone did their job to make sure that they performed adequate testing to make it a safe product. So I think it goes without saying that insulated metal panels as a whole um, they've been tested, they've been approved, so so they can withstand the the safety of a fire. But what are the benefits of using insulated metal panels for thermal efficiency over other types of metal panels or other types of building materials? From an R and D point of view, it's it clearly is the leader cost benefit. That's not to say that Cornerstone is only choosing something because it's it it is that, but it. It makes it a product that's more beneficial for the end customer, that the cost of producing foam for the amount of thermal insulation value it provides is more than double superior to anything else. So, yes, there's things that insulate better, but they cost two, three, four, ten times more vacuum insulated panels, these super, you know, these uh, aerogels, these other things. Then you go backwards to mineral wool or fiberglass, their level of insulation at cost still, yes, they're, they're cheaper, but they don't insulate as well. So from a true cost-benefit standpoint, foam plastics are a number one. You cannot do better than that. And Cornerstone has invested in that as part of our business to make IMPs using foam plastics. Okay. But what makes IMPs the superior building material when it comes to thermal efficiency? What about it? makes it the best. If I could take that again, Mandy, if we take that yeah. same foam insulation and when we when a manufacturer, not necessarily Cornerstone, makes foam insulation, in the production of it, there is an efficiency that is peaked as soon as that material is made. And then it tends to have some of the gases inside of that leach out through those through the core and it loses its thermal efficiency. But the key for maximizing that foam plastic and its thermal efficiency is an IMP surrounds it with metal, or nearly surrounds it, except for just around the edges, which it really thermally breaks the face from the outside, but it, it makes the best partner 
with foam plastics so that the thermal efficiency of the day it's made is not lost to, the, uh, to anywhere near the degree of just a straight board of foam insulation may be used on a roof or as insulation inside your house um, as it is, you know, uh, with, with our manufacturing process. So it's the best partner of the two. That foam plastic with metal skins is what makes an IMP even even better. And I just add to that that you know you're not looking at multiple components to obtain that that R value or that uh, U factor of the wall assembly. So what is different with insulated metal panels is it actually has spanning capabilities. Also, it's rigid enough with the metal skins to provide uh, you know longer spans attachment into uh, structural supports and um, you know it really does go ahead and and not only provide that thermal performance but will span and structurally be adequate for a project okay great stuff all right is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about the fire performance of imps I guess the, the only other item that I would say would be that even though we have the products that are tested, um, we can't test every application that our products are being applied. So there are times in which we need to use engineering judgment to go ahead and, and show code compliance or approval, or even in the R&D phase, uh, look at a different method of of doing full-scale testing, possibly some small-scale tests to determine worst-case scenario. And then from there, you know, we get an all-encompassing test procedure or protocol that actually go ahead and show compliance. Um, there are entities out there, third parties, that are providing some support to make it easier uh, for application reasons and testing. Um, Intertech is a great example where they have uh, design listings and show really the users or the you know, design community that the product is tested and when used in these applications that it, it meets the criteria. So they've tried to make it a little bit more user friendly uh, because really um, as Mark and I are heavily involved on a day-to-day -day basis, it can go ahead and get confusing and it can get cumbersome. Um, from a cornerstone standpoint, you know, there's always a team, internal team here to go ahead and make sure that uh, we are providing support and we're giving you our guidance in regards to application testing and, and making sure that uh, whatever we need to go ahead and do to ensure the design team understands, you know, what they might need to change to make sure that it's compliant. Yeah, that, no, that's a that's a very good point to bring up. That first of all, no one should think less of a judgment made by a very experienced fire code professional. All the tests that Mandy and I do, we're not burning your actual building anyway. So everything is modeled to some extent. They're just using their experience to extend some of that modeling. When it comes to an IMP, we, it makes it pretty simple for them. It's a, it's a single component, so maybe orientation, maybe size or thickness or, or something about the opening changes. Can you imagine that with five or six components that make up that same thing, that each one of those are variables, and they have to decide how each one of those variables, that, that weather-resistive weather barrier, the insulation, the cladding, how those all play against one another. So I, I think 
the engineering judgments that Mandy seeks for application, they're pretty straightforward. They're, they're pretty uh, easily done by these, these experienced folks. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining today and for educating us about uh, this topic. I know that this is one that we get a lot of questions on, and I think that y'all did a really great job at explaining how this all works. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, fellow metalheads. Thanks for listening to our episode. For more information, visit the blog section on our website or visit our podcast page for similar topics. Want to become a Metal Insider? Sign up for our newsletter for exclusive industry news and updates.